Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Avnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. And uh, ready to go. Hello, and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, and joined, as always, by my co-host and friend, Julio. Julio, we are here today to, uh, for the third time in our 100-plus episodes, tackle uh, an entire body of work versus just an individual movie. Yeah, so if this is our sixth year, and we've done it twice before... Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do the math. But We're averaging like one, one every other year. <laughs> yes. In the past, we covered uh, directors being uh, Sir Roberto Zambarelli and uh, Christopher Columbus. This actually beginning the tackling of a franchise, uh, that being the Terminator franchise, which has spanned, uh, I was that four decades now or three, I guess, since the one was released in. Yeah. Uh, if you've been listening to the contrarians recently, you know that uh, we're bringing on a special guest for this one. A uh, friend of the podcast. He's been on before. You know him and love him. Uh, Chaz Fisher. Chaz, welcome. Thank you very much, guys. I'm truly honored to be part of this particular episode where, you know, the ups and downs of the Terminator franchise can finally get revealed for what they truly are. <laughs> so... Uh Chaz wanted me to clear this up on air, that it is not his fault that uh, that this episode didn't get released originally as planned in January. <laughs> Instead, it was our poor scheduling. He is an innocent Australian that has, uh, through no fault of his own, happens to live in the future. <laughs> Very Terminator style. I'm Carl Reesing this shit. <laughs> <laughs> He, uh, I can't remember what kept delaying it, but he eventually it was, just texted us, yeah, it come was with like me a, if you want to live. <laughs> yeah, it was like a, a Saturday, it, like the Saturday we were going to do it, it turns out that it didn't work. Yeah. Um, well, whatever the case, uh, we're, we're together, finally here to cover it. If you've listened to us in the past, uh, uh, you know our gimmick, we uh, rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, as we like to say, and that we find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated and make a case for why it shouldn't be vice versa. Find a nasty green splotch, a rotten movie and argue for the positive merit that it holds. Uh, being that we're doing a franchise here, it's going to be a little bit different in that we're not going to be deep diving these movies, but more or less just giving an overview into what they contributed, uh, not only to the franchise, but to, uh, I guess, film lore, film history. And I don't know about you, but this is the first time that I've basically marathoned them all, uh, you know, I've watched a lot of Terminator in the past week. <laughs> uh, some of that is a good thing. Some of that is a bad thing. Oh, so uh, unless y'all have any qualms, I say we just strip down nude and jump right into mm -hmm. it. Let's go back mm -hmm. to, to the 80s. 
In the 21st century, a weapon will be invented like no other. This weapon will be powerful, versatile, and indestructible. It can't be reasoned with. It can't be bargained with. It will feel no pity, no remorse, no pain, no fear. It will have only one purpose, to return to the present and prevent the future. This weapon will be called the Terminator. Arnold Schwarzenegger is the Terminator. Your future is in its hands. We're going back to October 26, 1984, furthering my theory that the first Terminator is a horror movie. It was released on fucking Halloween weekend. <laughs> uh, the Terminator, directed and written by James Cameron, launched onto the world with a budget of uh, $6.4 million. At the time, had a, a worldwide gross of a uh, little under $79 million. Now, long way from Avatar. Yes. I mean, Cameron's best work was a long ways off. <laughs> What what is this? What is the Terminator as as conceived by by Cameron? Is it really a horror movie? I hadn't like really thought about it, and honestly, I might be a little more uh, charitable to it if I just think of it as as trashy horror as opposed to the sci-fi movie it purports to be. I mean, it's just uh, the special effects are not good for a sci-fi movie. But if you're telling me that I'm just watching a, a shitty horror movie, I'm more forgiving in that in that aspect. And real quick, before we go any further, I must point out it's Rotten Tomato ranking. It is the highest of all the Terminator movies with a 100% rating on Rotten Tomato. Oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest here. Has there been a James Cameron movie that has dated more than this one? Uh, I mean, I think that maybe maybe they're all built into date. It's just that this one, because it's so far old, so much older, then it it's more noticeable. I'm sure that... In, well, I mean, the know. music, the hair, the visual effects. I mean, I, I guess it must have been mind-blowing at the time, but, you know, watching it in 2020, it's just a wet fart, that scene where he, like, cuts his own eye out. Yeah. It's like the first time you see Jaws. It's like, the, people <laughs> thought this was scary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We've seen Arnold Schwarzenegger do much better acting, uh, since then, I mean, he really, he doesn't, it sucks. And, and really, probably the worst part about revisiting the franchise uh, now is that I'm looking at it with a critical eye and catching stuff that when I first watched these movies, I, I didn't. So the fact that, for example, he's he's a, he's a robot. He's supposed to be emotionless. And yet, so many times during the movie, you catch him like grimacing or just betraying some sort of emotion that you know it's not him. It's Arnold you know, reacting to something. And it doesn't help that it's like James Cameron had just discovered slow motion. So he slows down the action scenes. And when he slows them down, that's when he betrays uh, Schwarzenegger's confidence because then you can see that suddenly he's he's making facial expressions that he shouldn't. Well, talking about catching things on the rewatch and uh, seeing things, betraying Arnie and seeing things in slow motion, I got to see this film last year in IMAX. And in IMAX, the, the 16 mil grain is blown up and you actually realize how much of this film is completely out of focus but (laughs) one of the actual benefits that i got was in imax uh arnie's swinging wang uh 
whether his balls were shrunk by steroids, his the Austrian sausage <laughs> certainly was not, and you got to see it in full six foot glory swinging around in IMAX. So was it like like when you play a Super Nintendo game on one of the HD TVs where everything looks pixelated? Was that was it similar to to that, or was it just out of focus? Oh, there's just so many shots that in IMAX you're just like, whoa. I, I just can't even see where that person, like Carl Reese's eyes are barely ever in focus at all for the whole movie. And it's all shot at nighttime and 16 mil and grainy as hell. And yeah, like you're saying, I think if we're charitable about this, let's think of it more as like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then we can understand why so many people mis incorrectly applaud this film. And, you know, for those maybe four people listening to this that have never seen the Terminator. I think it's important to explain that the story of this is one of time travel, uh, a, uh, a robot, a, a cyborg from the future sent back in time to kill, uh, Miss Linda Hamilton, Miss Sarah Connor, uh, as she will give birth to John Connor, who will lead the resistance in the future against the machines. I mean, we, we've done so much time travel since then. I think that James Cameron was just trying to make this, so convoluted to the point where he knew it didn't have to make sense anymore because then the audience, they would just give up when they were trying to understand what was going on. Right. It's a whole, like, what what came first, the chicken or the egg? I mean, it's like... Well, in this movie, Michael Bain came first because, you know, that's how we got John Connor. In slow motion. <laughs> yes. Oh, the sex scene. Yes. Oh, my yeah. God. Straight, I mean, you guys... straight out of the Cinemax files. <laughs> you guys... You know, I loved your Watchmen episode recently where I think 90% of that episode was taken up by talking about how awful that sex scene was. <laughs> and really, Zack Snyder must have been watching The Terminator on loop and gone, this is how you do it. You know, all that's missing here is a bit of Leonard Cohen and we're golden. If, uh, if James Cameron had had access to a flamethrower... Uh, when shooting the first Terminator, <laughs> that's how that scene would have ended. <laughs> it's so, it's so like you want to talk about dated. The only thing that's more dated than the Arnold face mold when he cuts his eye out is this scene because of like the synthesized music, the sweaty palms, the the sheets being grabbed that at. That shot of the close up of the hand just like grabbing onto the sheets. It's just come on, man. And uh, of course, Linda Hamilton's poof of a hair. Uh, I mean, th this movie is full on 80s. It's a, it's a time capsule of the 80s in a way that the sequel later would be kind of a time capsule of the 90s. Uh, and I think in both cases, it's not a good thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it's kind of a reminder of bad things, bad fashion in the 80s or ridiculous trends in the 80s. How you shoot a sex scene, how you shoot an action scene, uh, how you dress your characters. It doesn't age well. Um, but going back to the chicken and the egg... I think that something that this movie, w one of the biggest failings of this movie that gets rectified down the line is that it tries to take t uh, time travel seriously. And it's it's impossible because it starts with an impossibility. How did John Connor ever exist in order to send his father back in time? Exactly. Without having yeah. sent his father back in time. Is he the chicken or is he the egg? We know he's both. <laughs> <laughs> he's both. One thing... Uh, you know, we're talking about Linda Hamilton, the the dated tropes, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. These are things that'll follow us throughout the entire franchise. One thing that'll not, and probably the biggest crime of this movie is Michael Bain, the most you know s polished actor in this entire movie, the best performance, the most captivating character, and he's killed off in the first movie of the franchise. Not just that, he gets written off. Yes, and I should to be fair, Kyle Reese does not, right. but Michael Bain never returns to greet us. 
he must have been uh, really difficult to uh, to work with. He kept arguing with Cameron. Like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Michael Bean got more respect in Alien 3 than he does in the Terminator franchise. <laughs> he clearly was not one of the people sleeping with James Cameron at the time of this movie. <laughs> it's true, because in, in uh, Alien 3, he doesn't get recast. He gets, you know, his uh, likeness gets used there. Mm-hmm. In this franchise... It's just like we get three different uh, uh, Kyle Reese's uh, counting him at least, yeah, yeah. And you know, Hollywood is a cruel mistress because he didn't, you know, he didn't enter our hearts again until he played Topher Grace's dad and take, take me, me home, home tonight. tonight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, I mean, he does what he can with the with the role of Kyle Reese here, but he's also pretty one note. Uh, it's just so weird because there's supposed to be this this change. Right, he comes in as a badass soldier, but he's completely out of his depth, mm-hmm. and he's supposed to be protecting this this woman. I know that what the movie is trying to do is form some sort of relationship between them, to where you believe that Kyle inspired her somehow to to become a badass woman and and be able to take the Terminator out. But you never really feel it because all Kyle Reese does is yell and you know get shot, be completely ineffective against the Terminator, <laughs> and and then tell her that he has a crush on her. And have sex with yeah. her. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the biggest crime. Like, this is clearly James Cameron's point of view of women, is that if you yell loud enough, they will have sex with you. <laughs> if you act crazy enough, they will just fall over their head over heels in love with you. You just need to make some grenades in front of them and tell them some horrifying stories and scream in a police station. And that is just super hot. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and then, I guess, and they'll be better off for it. Because even after you're gone, the memory of you will just help them carry on. It's crazy, too, because the way that this world that he's created in 1984 is populated, it's it's really full of just kind of incompetent men overall. Because you have the doctor that shows up. And to my mind, he doesn't seem very professional in the way that he handles the Kyle Reese file. Mm-hmm. Uh, he... Here's the story of this very if you even if you assume that Kyle Reese didn't really come from the future and he's really a disturbed person, the doctor is just laughing about it. You know, he thinks it's the coolest thing that this guy has created this entire fantasy and that it's so consistent. Dr. Silberman, played by Earl Bowen, who will be, at least for the first half of the franchise, a reoccurring character. Yeah. This is really the main reason to bring him up because I guess people thought that he was funny. Mm-hmm. You know, why would you bring him back? It's just one of those minor characters that, that gets dragged through the rest of the franchise or at least halfway through the franchise. Because and Why use Earl Bowen when Wallace Shawn was clearly available? <laughs> you know, give me, a new, give me a new psychiatrist for every installment, at least. You know, make it that kind of trope. Uh, I mean, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of woke debate about how James Cameron is or is not a feminist filmmaker. And clearly his idea of how to make a feminist film is to make the men as equally useless as the women in the film. Right. No it's one just knows like, what they're guess, doing here. Yeah, Sarah Sarah has to learn to fend for herself because it becomes clear that nobody else is going to do it because they're all too stupid to <laughs> to figure out uh, when something dangerous is happening. Well, then Paul Winfield, one of the only people of color in the entire franchise, who uh, is the police lieutenant that actually right. tries to protect Sarah... Uh, you don't want to talk about funny. The funniest moments of that movie to me are the when people are making fun of Kyle Reese and Sarah Connor. He just tells them to shut up. Because <laughs> he doesn't know what to make of it. But he 
is basically one of the only heroic characters and one of the people that has his head on straight of, yeah, they might be lying, but we should probably be safe just in case. And then before you know it, Arnold's in there just with an assault rifle, you know, <laughs> yeah. mowing down police officers in droves. Do you notice that the only person that we don't see die on screen, or at least not in the not in the cut I watched, <laughs> is uh, Lance Henriksen? Because Lance Henriksen is there as, a, I guess, his second in command. Yeah. And... Uh, Maybe he had that Hayden Pantier contract where he couldn't, his character couldn't die on screen. Yeah. In the end, Kyle Reese fulfills his duty of protecting Sarah Connor and also impregnating her. Uh, it's fortunate things played out that way. The Terminator tracks him down to a where, uh, not a warehouse, a factory somewhere. In the end, Kyle Reese is killed by the Terminator. However, Sarah Connor is able to uh, terminate it with a like a not a drill press, but like a flattening press in a factory. Not before having one of the all-time feminist <laughs> rah-rah cries of your terminated fucker. Yep. And it would be a almost solid seven years before the uh, resistance was mentioned again. Or, I, I don't know, Linda Hamilton probably in that time. I know she had that Beauty and the Beast show. I don't really know what else she was doing in that seven <laughs> they years. They were waiting for, for the show to be over before they did anything else. I and- think Arnold in that time made about 5,000 movies. <laughs> he had to keep himself busy and in shape. Uh the other loose end that I have from Terminator, uh, which I guess eventually gets answered somewhat, is how did uh, Kyle Reese came to be in possession of John Connor's mother's photograph? Because it's kind of a big deal in the first movie, right? Uh, but you never know why he's walking around with a picture of his buddy's mom <laughs> in his pocket. Um, he's the original um, Finch from American Pie. <laughs> whoever the kid from Stacy's mom is <laughs> but yeah you know you see him uh, he doesn't have it by the time that he makes it to 1984 but in one of his flashbacks slash dream sequences he has the photo he looks at it and then there's an attack and he the photo catches fire and I remember that always bothered me because it's like did he steal that from John's wallet uh, I mean, I know that the purpose of that scene is to show that he's obsessed. Well, there's no porn in the future. <laughs> like, in, in, the, in the dystopian future, they don't have Pornhub. So, you know, you, you, you see that your friend has got a picture of a hot woman. Any, any visual aid will do. <laughs> they just pass around that picture of Linda Hamilton. <laughs> he didn't know that it was his mom. And then by the time he found out, it was too late. You, you have to rent that picture for like, you know, I don't know, a cookie and uh, a cigarette. He, he got in trouble for losing the picture during that attack, the entire uh, platoon. There is a possible explanation for that much later down the road. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I, I lived with that question for, you know, decades. <laughs> and then it finally got answered. The, proving that the people behind uh, Terminator Genesis knew exactly what we wanted from a Terminator sequel. So it was seven years later on the 4th of July weekend that Terminator 2 Judgment Day was dropped. Uh, the budget for this was substantially increased from about $7 million to $100 million, uh, for a box office return of a bit over $500 million a bit earlier today just for conversation's sake. I did the inflation numbers and that would have been about a billion dollars today. So not quite endgame. Well, what but- is? <laughs> Taken at the West Highland Police Station, 1984. You were there. Same model. These were taken today. You have to 
let me see my son. He's in great danger. New mission. Once, he was programmed to destroy the future. You don't know what it's like to try to kill one of these things. Now, his mission... Get down! ...is to protect it. Come with me if you want to live. You're really real. His loyalty is to a child. Who sent you? You did. 35 years from now. And his enemy... He's a Terminator like you, right? Not like me. ...is the deadliest machine ever built. Can it be destroyed? Unknown. This time, there are two. Terminator 2. You just can't go around killing people. Why? If you thought you had seen it all... Look again. Stay down! Arnold Schwarzenegger. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. This time, he's back. For good. Trust me. Terminator 2, widely heralded as the greatest action movie of all time. I don't understand. I think that it's that has to be... I think we've been gaslighted as, as a culture, you know, into thinking that this is a good movie just because at the time it was the shiniest toy in the you know on display. It had cool special effects for the time. And it also had Robert Patrick. It had Robert Patrick. And and then it had Arnold, I guess doing a better job than he did before. But in my opinion, not quite reaching the heights of comedy that he would later in the in the franchise. For all intents and purposes, this is basically just Freddy got fingered with a higher budget. <laughs> you had like this mm-hmm. national peaked or global peaked interest in this, you know, character that was Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Much like, you know, Tom Green made that movie at the time only because there was this heightened interest in him. And that's uh, pretty much how this succeeded. Yeah, the problem was that Tom Green didn't have a franchise that he was already attached to. <laughs> you know, it's not they could tear, uh, turn Road Trip into something else. They can do, like, RT2, Road yeah. Trip 2. <laughs> <laughs> I think the main takeaway from this, the lasting power of this for me personally, is You Could Be Mine, the original song by Guns N' Roses that was provided for this soundtrack. <laughs> that was a perfect storm. Everything came together. Uh, it, it's the most 1991 movie ever made. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> if you don't believe that, just listen to John Connor's dialogue. You'll be taken back to the 90s. And every single kid that you wanted to slap in the face until they talk like a normal person. What was that part of his foster parents ask, you know, what do you want? And he says, I want my MTV. (laughs) And the bloody Uh, undercut haircut. Everyone, every one of us had a friend. I think his buddy, who's only like in the first two reels of the movie. uh, (laughs) Did you have salute your shorts in Peru as a kid? We don't have shorts in Peru. It's just... Chaz, do you remember the television show Salute Your Shorts? No, I was in... Uh, Egypt at the time, so we didn't have shorts there either. They had asps. Okay, so for me, the the token <laughs> American here, uh, Salute Your Shorts was a popular television show on Nickelodeon, and the kid with the red mullet was like the bad kid on that show. So every time I see this movie, like that's immediately... Again, there's nothing... This is the most early 90s movie ever, but um, yeah, uh, to your point... Let's, the, hold on, let, let's address the elephant in the room here, Okay. 
James Cameron got all shitty when he got kicked off his, the the franchise that he originated, but it's his own fucking fault. This movie <laughs> allowed anyone to indefinitely make Terminators forever because somehow in the future the 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 Skynet invents a time machine, sends a Terminator back in time. Then the humans take over the time machine and then they send a human back in time. And then at some other point they then send Skynet must take it back again, and then they send a super-evolved Terminator that they didn't have <laughs> five minutes before to send back to the first movie, and then send the humans get to recapture it again, steal an old Terminator, not a new one. We don't want to send the latest hardware. We've got to send the old version back <laughs> and send that back. And he's like, oh, I'm just going to fuck around with time until it makes even less sense than it made in the first movie and then get shitty that other people will do it in future movies. Right, it's, it's his own fault. When he tries to, to sell still, the ending... Still not the... Mo- he, I'm sorry, uh, I'll let you get back to it, but Chaz still, uh, for all that, still not the most egregious thing to happen in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, do, I mean, but what Chaz is saying is exactly right. When, when you get to the end of Terminator 2... And he tries to make it look like this is the end. I was like, no, because you've established that nothing is stopping Skynet to just keep sending robots until they get the job done. To me, it was it, it was the end, but not the end of the story, just the end of my faith in the storytelling. Because <laughs> T2 effectively made it to where they're can be no definitive ending. Right. It's just they're going to keep sending them and, uh, until they win. I mean, why, why didn't Skynet send a Terminator back to, like, the 1800s? <laughs> Walk around, killing everyone whose last name is Connor on the planet. Yeah, in this, there is one of the movies, I don't remember which one, where they say that they couldn't risk... They send him back to 2016 <laughs> to kill Connor McGregor just to be safe. <laughs> Everybody, the, the, the last name Connor... Um, no, I think there's one of the movies, uh, or maybe it was just one of the deleted scenes. I don't know. It's all a blur now. But there's one point where they say that they couldn't risk sending somebody too far back because they didn't want to change history too much. I was like, those machines are not acting. You know, the Terminators, they sit back. They're not being subtle. They're not being careful about the ripples of their actions down the timeline. And- As we'll see in the franchise later down the road... There's actions from the 1984 Terminator that like affect like a 40 year gap in time or 30 year gap in time. Excuse me. Yeah, I think the main failing of Terminator 2 is just that Edward Furlong. Well, okay, the main long term failing. Because at least they took care of Furlong for the next installments. But <laughs> the, the biggest damage that that Terminator 2 did was open this can of worms mm-hmm. because you could almost look past the, the the one time paradox at the end of uh, Terminator 1, right? It's like, what came first, John Connor or Kyle Reese having sex with Sarah Connor? <laughs> well, the Terminator, the first movie is a complete movie. It's just over and you're like, that's it. Right, but but it still has that, that open thing of like, well, how was John Connor alive if if Kyle Reese hadn't gone back in time yet to have sex with Sarah Connor. But as we've seen with James Cameron, he can't leave well enough alone. <laughs> right. <laughs> he just He's like, well, it already doesn't make sense, so might as well just go all in, But it, it, which would be fine. James Cameron has been stung by bees many times for going back to the honeypot. <laughs> That's just like the story of his career. His answer is like, but how much money do you make? <laughs> uh, I, I think that what the, what the franchise figures out later, and Cameron didn't, is that if you're going to be so cavalier about time travel rules and all this stuff, then you can't take yourself seriously. And the problem with T2 is that for 80% of it, it's just so serious. It's just, 
it takes the end of the world dead seriously. It's very grim. <laughs> it's, it, you know, there's all these uh, visions that Sarah has about the apocalypse. We, you see kids melting. It's, it's, it's quick, pretty uh, horrifying imagery. Quick injection of personal story. This was the first R-rated movie my parents ever let me watch as a kid. Uh, and I do remember specifically, though, my mom made my dad fast forward through that scene where the, the kids, like, get eviscerated the night owl uh sil specter yeah fantasy sex scene that's like uh, one of many i'll save most of my personal stories for uh real, real talk, talk but yeah because you brought it up that was like i remember watching it my mom's like nope and fast forwarding it so for me for years it was like this forbidden scene that when i finally watched it at like i don't know fucking 16 or 17 i was like why did she care about that and then i watched it at 30 and i'm like oh my god that's the most disturbing <laughs> shit i've ever seen <laughs> Yeah, but can you believe? So that scene exists side by side in the, in the same movie with Hasta la Vista Baby and, <laughs> and you know, that, that all the stupid shit that... And this Edward entitled Furlong white teaches. kid wearing a public enemy <laughs> shirt the entire movie. Yes. Uh, yeah, Edward Furlong, because you brought him up and I was just... He is probably the worst thing in this movie. What do you mean probably? <laughs> well, because I guess we have to to decide what's worse, that Terminator 2 opened the door to just, well, nothing makes sense now, or just the fact that within the story of Terminator 2, there's an actor that's just written so poorly and performed so poorly that, that you just, the one person that's supposed to save the planet that you're supposed to be rooting for, you're actually rooting against. Yeah. Right? And it, it sucks because they built him up so much. Let me answer that question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Speak on it, son. Uh, Edward Furlong's performance and how John Connor is written is clearly the worst thing about this movie because without James Cameron blowing up any kind of rules to this world and opening up the franchise indefinitely, we would not have the glory that is Terminator Genesis. That makes perfect sense. That's an excellent point. So, so yes. it, is, it is settled. <laughs> Edward Furlong is the worst thing in Terminator 2. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't here. I wasn't in the States. During the 90s. Did people really talk like that? Uh, yeah. It's this. Oh, it's so hard to do the contrarian's corner thing about this movie. Um, uh, it definitely is a snapshot of its time. And uh, before we move into a different millennium with the Terminator franchise, I do want to speak to... We mentioned uh, Michael Bain being this fantastic, if not the highest ranking part of the first Terminator uh, being done away with Jimmy Cameron can't help himself. <laughs> Robert Patrick bl- brings just this quiet charisma to this movie that is unmatched by any of the villains in the rest of the franchise. But of course he's a one and done too. Yeah. I think that it, he just, he just felt threatened, but you know, you just reminded me because I, the Terminator two version that I, that I watched was the extreme edition. Extreme. Uh, yeah, and it did. It, it did. I wanted to watch the theatrical, but it, it, it wasn't an option. And so it was like 16 extra minutes, I think. And I don't know if, if you're familiar with this, Chaz, but I know for a fact that one of the deleted things that got put in, uh, put back in in that edition was uh, Michael Bean cameo. He has like the one scene, which is really cruel because it's like they gave you Michael Bean back for. Two minutes and then they took him away and he never came back and it's just uh sort of a dream sequence that sarah has early on 
talk about just really not realizing how you're playing the audience in the wrong way, right? It's like don't don't give me two minutes, of Michael Bean, if you're not gonna give me Terminator Three should have been Michael Bean versus Robert Patrick. That God. should have been the movie. I don't care how, just bring bring Michael Bean as Kyle Reese back. But I mean, like, you're talking about. I haven't seen that version, and so I I have not had my cock teased by the magic of Michael Bean in this movie, yeah. but. <laughs> You're talking about the 16 <laughs> extra minutes of a film that it calls itself an action movie, but is over two and a half hours fucking long. Like, how indulgent is James Cameron? <laughs> At least the other movies have the respect of being yeah. a reasonable length action movie. He just laying the groundwork for the entire MCU. <laughs> the Irishman, I was about to say. <laughs> Because when Terminator 2 ends, you feel old. (laughs) Just the way that that De Niro feels old and you feel old at the end of The Irishman. At the end of Terminator 2, you feel like... Like, the movie T2 is a Terminator that just won't stop. It just keeps coming after you. Because how many times do they kill Robert Patrick? You know, kill in quotation marks. <laughs> and you think, it looks good. You know, I've, every time it happens, I'm like, all right, we're done. That was that was good. That was a good send-off. And then he comes back. It's just, what is the point? After a while, it's just like, I, I, I check the out. The studio was like, hey, we need two and a half hours. And they just had to think of, like, what's one thing you can't kill? It's like liquid. And like, all right, let's... <laughs> And then he gets blown up and frozen, but then, you know, it's next to lava. So he melts and he comes back together. All right, let's go. Make Get sure Patrick in wardrobe. I mean, look, whenever um, Kevin Feige would have stepped in in the MCU and gone, hey, guys, maybe these movies shouldn't be like three hours long. They would have just gone, look at Avatar. Look at Terminator 2. It doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> that is true you were talking about watching the extreme version the blu-ray i watched like it was so annoying because it was like the skynet version and so like all of the verbiage in the menus is like skynet shit and, and so it doesn't say like play movie select scene it's like adjust timeline launch and i'm like just tell me what i'm doing here it took me five minutes to get through the menu just to figure out what i'm watching i thought you were gonna say that the really annoying thing was that the the blu-ray kept trying to take over your life and terminate you. <laughs> so, T2, half a billion dollars. It was the last time we would see James Cameron behind the, the, the camera. And uh, in many ways, for good. I don't know what happened to him after this movie. But, <laughs> he just uh, disappeared into obscurity. I mean, he had a good run. And then, you know, after 91... He bought a submarine. <laughs> <laughs> he went to the bottom of the ocean to bring the bar back up. But it was... Uh, 12, almost 12 years to the day, uh, July 2nd of 2003, that Terminator returned to movie theaters across the globe. The life you know, all the stuff you take for granted, it's not going to last. Imagine a world of permanent darkness. Where machines control man's destiny. Imagine you were the only one who could stop it. But before you do, something terrible has to happen. John Connor was here. Where is he? Are you going to kill me? No. My mission is to protect you. Can you find a way to destroy her? Unlikely. I'm an obsolete design. TX has 
corrupted my system. The machines, they're starting to take over. Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, a budget of looks about a shade under $200 million, a box office return of, at the time, a little over $430 million. So not as high as its predecessor, but still a, a decent chunk of change. With uh, Terminator 3, though, the biggest change was that we brought in a female enemy. So we start kind of turning the corner here. It's not like a full-on... Uh, uh, 180 or not even a, a 90 <laughs> and it turned but appropriately enough bringing in a female villain to counterpart arnold's masculinity do you want to guess what terminator 3 is at on rotten tomatoes <laughs> oh god is it 69 69 <laughs> <laughs> well couldn't have planned it better all i have to say to that nice <laughs> uh so so this is uh jonathan mustow Right, that's the director. Uh, yes. So, so this guy had the thinkless task of picking up the pieces, the rules, so to speak, or the lack of rules that James Cameron left at the end of T two, and then have to come up with a sequel that kind of makes sense. A J.J. Abrams of his time. Mm-hmm. No yeah. shit, really. <laughs> his, uh, I mean, I think that from here on, the history of the Terminator franchise becomes just a series of attempts of, uh, of, of making a, uh, a Force Awakens kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and they never really quite succeed, even though they do really good things. Um, maybe it's just that, you know, if you're not J.J. Abrams, it doesn't, it doesn't work. But I, I like that there's here, there's, more comedy than you had in T2, but it also lands a lot better. Uh, it's like Jonathan Masso understood that maybe the secret to keeping this franchise going and actually making it work was to not take it so seriously. If you're not going to take time travel seriously, then let's just make jokes about it. Uh, and also, because this is the third time we're seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger as, as a, an unstoppable robot, and we need some variety. So... It's not just that you need an enemy that's that's the opposite gender, but also you need Arnold to be a little funnier, to go, like, talk to the hand and, you know, put funny glasses on. Probably the funniest moment that, that made me laugh the hardest is uh, kind of a throwaway callback when later in the movie they get rid of the Terminatrix and, uh, <laughs> and then Arnold looks at her and then looks at uh, John Connor and he goes, she'll be back. <laughs> It's like that's that's all I want from Terminators, from Terminator movies from here on. It's just that kind of self-awareness and kind of uh, meta one-liners, and then you know, like the cool action sequences, which I, I guess are kind of like the staple. It's just nice that the franchise got handed to a director who finally understood. Like, thank God there was a white man out there who actually understood what female filmmaking should be. <laughs> and you know, he had a female Terminator. Arnie came back and John Connor is a whiny little bitch, which is, to be fair, a good extension of Edward Furlong in, you know, Nick Stahl channeled that inner bitch so well. Uh, But thankfully, Claire Danes is the one ordering Arnie around. You know, finally, we've got a film where two women don't just walk around being crazy. 
Yeah, it's 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 really the John Connor point is it's really good because really it's is the natural progression of the Edward Furlong portrayal of John Connor, but they got a better actor to do it. So when Nick Stoll looks tortured, I buy it. When when Edward Furlong was having issues in T2, I'm like, you need to stop. Just stop talking. With with Nick Stoll, he looks like the kind of guy that used to be Edward Furlong and got hated for it, and now he's just a recluse. But I like him. It's I think that uh, yeah, Nick Stoll's great. I think other than Edward Furlong, uh, John Connor has been blessed with just quality actors, you know, installment through installment, uh, kind of like building up. You know, it's, uh, in this case. It's also uh, thematically relevant because he's off the grid. So it makes sense to get an actor that's off the grid. Nobody knows who Nick Stoll is. He's your John Connor. In Salvation, he's supposed to be legend John Connor. Everybody knows who he is. Everybody turns the radio on. So they get So naturally get Batman. <laughs> exactly. You know? But here, for, for Rise of the Machines, it's perfect that they got Nick Stoll. That's, that's great casting. Um, so the female Terminator, played by Christiana Loken, uh, who... You know, this was one of the only things uh, mainstream that she did. I think does a great job of matching Arnold's robotic delivery, and I think it's a really nice counterpart to it. But to Chaz's point about the female lead, and not just in a female aspect, I'm talking acting across the board. This is the first time the franchise was blessed with someone who knew what the fuck they were doing, and that's Claire Danes. She shows up and just owns this whole fucking movie. And it's the thing of, you know, she doesn't come in until maybe 30 minutes into the movie and you, you know, you have this Nick stall and you think you're watching an all right movie. And then she shows up and you're like, hell yeah, I'm at the movies. Give me my damn popcorn and soda. Now it feels like a real movie. This is a real movie. Let's get to it. You thought you were watching like the indie version of Terminator and then, then Claire Dane shows up and it's like, Oh, the star power just, just arrived. Aside from Sarah Connor, Kyle Reese, John Connor, the most, to me, the most iconic character name in the entire franchise is Catherine Brewster. <laughs> Kate, Kate for for the fans, <laughs> for the yeah. hardcores. Yeah. Well, what I like is that it it was a very a very subtle switcheroo, right? They they write Sarah Connor off. Uh, I don't know why Linda Hamilton didn't want to come back. He she maybe figured that there was only so much she could do with the character, uh, and uh, so now you kind of have to fill the void of the badass uh, uh, female fighter right and what's cool about kate is that she's not as over the top badass as linda hamilton was and in linda hamilton's case it was even harder to to buy it because we've seen her as just this defenseless damsel in distress in the first movie the part when she finally mans a gun is so badass right. but i buy it because she's a what would you call it? like an army mm. brat yeah. right mm-hmm. her, her dad taught her how to fly a, a plane and how to shoot and all that stuff so from the very beginning when she first uh meets John Connor, or rather, meets him again. She disarms him with ease. She could tell that he had a paintball gun, not a real gun. Yeah. Uh, you know, she's uh, probably the most believable character so far in the franchise. Yeah. I also just want to drift into real talk ever so slightly. One of the things that the writers did really well in this film is they finally acknowledged that the previous two films do have an effect on the timeline. Judgment Day moved. <laughs> <laughs> Right, like oh. that is that is something. Yeah, I wish that there was a character throughout the franchise, and this is both Contrarian's Corner and Real Talk. I wish there was a character in the franchise that was able to take a step back the way that we, as the audience, can take a step back, and would be able to track all the craziness that has happened in the timelines and just 
look at you know Sarah Connor or or look at at Kyle Reese or John Connor or whoever and just go like hey this doesn't make any sense man <laughs> it's the judgment day keeps moving forward we keep sending people back how many ways how many different ways the world has changed because of all this time travel so uh it's kind and of also it does the thing of uh this movie that you know the time travel affects it but also nothing's for sure in the future because we find out that in the the distant future uh arnold the terminator's program to kill and does kill john connor right yeah uh, which i'd forgotten about that when i first watched this i killed you <laughs> <laughs> well because i i've only seen this movie i've only seen this movie once uh you know when it came out and so I, what You'd only seen it once before this? Yeah. This movie fucking... No, sorry. Yeah, I'm getting too far into real talk. <laughs> uh, so I, I've forgotten how like many twists and turns it has. I, I remembered it as a pretty straightforward action movie. But really, there's a lot of like little reveals that kind of throw you off. Like the fact that uh, Catherine... Is the one that can control the Terminator, not John. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but they don't reveal everything at once because at first you're like, oh, okay, so, so that's that's a big change. And then later you find out that oh, it's because John is dead by the time that this happens. And then you find out that it's because the Terminator killed him. Yeah. And so on. So it's, um, it the the plot is a lot more complex. It's just it's so it's not as showy as the Cameron movies. Yeah. You know, Cameron would make sure that you knew that there was a plot twist coming because, you know, it was going to be loud and there was going to be uh, slow motion and, and the score was going to rise and there's going to be a close-up of Linda Hamilton just deciding not to kill a guy. But <laughs> here it's just kind of like very casual, uh, but still very good storytelling. And, you know, uh, no discussion of the franchise or specifically Rise of the Machines would be complete without talking about the crown jewel of this movie, and that is its ending. Uh, and, you know, despite which side of the fence you fall on, uh, on <laughs> the that side 60- of the machines or the side of the humans. I was going to say, on which side of that 69 you fall on, I think everyone mm-hmm. pretty much agrees. The ending of this movie is its crowning achievement in that they actually had the uh, balls to present a major motion picture where everyone dies in the end. Yeah. I mean, everyone would have gone in thinking if James Cameron was directing this film, they would have stopped Judgment Day yet again indefinitely for the rest of the franchise. And here you watch Judgment Day fucking happen. The balls on this movie. Yeah. uh, I I wonder if uh, in a different timeline, uh, one where James Cameron just sticks to the franchise forever, um, we would just be on Terminator 10 and it would be, you know, John Connor would be like, 90 years old and he's still trying to stop judgment day because they keep sending <laughs> Terminators they just keep him. delaying it over yeah. and over again yeah but that's i think if uh, maybe not verbatim but the um john connor line at the end is we didn't stop judgment day we just delayed it yep uh which is you know it's it's more again it's more self-awareness than any of the uh previous movies uh had and it gives you a a really good direction to go forward which is, you know, what I think the franchise did. It, it kind of sucks because from here on, I think that they they went into much bolder storytelling. It's only bright skies from here on. Yeah, but unfortunately, the audience just rejected it because they were used to Cameron's kind of crowd-pleasing storytelling. And they didn't like it when they were challenged. I mean, talking about balls on this film, can I just, before we transition into Salvation, <laughs> I just want to say, truthfully, how awesome is it that they started out this movie after judgment day was supposed to happen and the wheels have just fallen off 
John and Sarah Connor. Sarah Connor just keels over and dies because without Judgment Day, she has nothing to live for. And John is just like, well, I guess all that's left for me to be is a heroin addict now because I have no, I'm not going to be the savior of mankind anymore. Like, could you imagine how that would fuck up your psyche if you've been raised from birth to be, you're going to save humanity. And then you saved humanity when you are a dipshit 14 year old. It's kind of like the Macaulay Culkin story. <laughs> so Terminator 1 and Terminator 2 are the home alones of the James Cameron universe. Yeah, yeah, it would be a hard existence being pegged <laughs> like you were the the second coming and then just having to, you know, live to see it. It's like, yeah, in like 30 years you're going to be a big deal, but you're just going to have to live like, you know, for now just But not even that, knowing that that's now that's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I'm sorry. Yeah, you could have been Like you you fought so hard to actually remove the big deal. You right. could have been Elvis. Yeah. Damn it, you know, we had to save humanity, but now I'm not going to get to be Taylor Swift anymore. That would be a hard fucking choice. That he didn't he was too young to know the choice he was making at the time. You just but that's your hookup line. Like you just go and it's like, "Let me tell you about this different timeline where I saved the world." <laughs> that that's going to be the next movie is John Connor going back in time. Uh to stop himself from them killing Arnold in T2 so he can live to be the Messiah. And he's he's played by Edward Furlong. <laughs> oh, poor, poor Edward Furlong. All right. So six years, about a six years would pass before we go back to the Terminator franchise. It was Memorial Day weekend, 2009. We've been fighting a long time. We are outnumbered by machines. Humans have a strength that cannot be measured. This is John Connor. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. I thought I knew. Something has changed. Skynet is taking human prisoners. Replicating human tissue. Let's see what we've got here. And in this future, I don't know that we can win this war. This thing is something we've never seen before. My name is Marcus Wright. You think you're human? I am human. Isn't that? Did this go against X Men Origins Wolverine? Uh, no, no, I think it no, came no, no, out no, no, the no. weekend before. So 
I remember there was the push for Wolverine to get finished early. It came out on May 1st of 2009 because they wanted to be the first, I guess, technically summer movie of the of the year. And, you know, there's a myriad of problems with that movie that one day we'll discuss. But that is not today. <laughs> so three weeks after the fact, uh, Terminator Salvation came out Memorial Day weekend of 2009. It was... Um, do you remember, like, the insane marketing push for this movie? It seemed like every place had something. I remember, like, there was a huge, like, you couldn't go into a 7-Eleven without it being completely decked out in Terminator stuff. I remember all the theaters were decked out and shit. Or those bus shelters featuring Common. Yes. And, uh, well, I mean, it's obvious it was... I remember it, it, having a feeling, like, wasn't there a whole lot of inappropriate kids and and like McDonald's cross promotion and toy lines and stuff like this cuz this movie is dark as fuck and it is not a kids movie it's kind of like the the Tim Burton Batman promotion all over again like hey kids you're going to come and love the dancing clowns you're exactly right there was i, I don't recall if there were happy meal toys or anything like that but the naked I, Sam Worthington it was like uh the 7-Eleven was the one I remember because it was like the Slurpee cups and you can get like a crazy twist straw that has a Terminator on it. And, you know, it's uh, so, yeah, there was a big push towards kids. I remember the toy line was really crazy for this, but it all makes sense. You know, it was the turn of the return of the Terminator franchise. Uh, it was the first one without Arnold. So they had to overcompensate for that. And then also fucking Batman was in it. Excuse me. <laughs> Arnold is in this fucking movie. Well, in spirit, yes. which is how it counts. Okay. Well, it, yeah, but we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> you're, you're just undermining the greatest moment in the entire movie. <laughs> I was going to say it was the... Tossing it away as if that cameo doesn't make the thing the great piece of art that it is today. I was going to tie it back around and saying, even though Arnold's not in it, they still said, fuck it, we're going to have him in it just by creating him <laughs> in MS Paint and have him in this movie. <laughs> I don't think... <laughs> I don't think that they just did that. I think Arnold said, "I'm too tired. I'm from being governor." He was. He was. He would have still been governor when this was being filmed, right? And he's like, "I can't. It's a. It's a conflict of interest." <laughs> so, but the you, most important thing in this movie, goddamn Batman's in it. <laughs> Christian Bale is at the helm of this. It makes so much sense, and I like that the the direction that Terminator Salvation went in was all right. We had our laughs. We've successfully disengaged from the James Cameron uh, timeline. We've closed the loop. We saw Judgment Day. Let's move forward. Let's do away with all the silly jokes. We'll have a, a, an Arnold cameo that restores his dignity after, you know. Let's get real actors like Bryce Dallas Howard in here. God, the original Gwen Stacy. But yeah, so you get you get real actors. You get common. You get and you get a right. <laughs> you get a rising star. You get Sam Worthington. Everything. It, the recipe on paper. That's just that's a winner. And then on execution, it's even better. So I just don't understand how it failed. Well, and, much it, like Sam Worthington's career. I mean, this movie is an allegory for Sam Worthington's life. <laughs> it flew too close to the sun. That's, he was too good. <laughs> he was too good. So people resented him because. He, out of all the all the actors that have played a Terminator so far, he, he kind of made him look bad. And but he had the advantage because he was actually able to emote. Yeah. Terminator Salvation with the second lowest rating on Rotten Tomatoes, thirty three percent. As I mentioned, Memorial Day weekend two thousand nine, with a budget of two hundred million, uh, box office return of three hundred and seventy, a little bit over that. It was the first time that it was no longer. We're from the future. 
It's just like, here's where it is. We're in the future. And this is where the shit's going down. Um, you know, Chaz, some people criticize Christian Bale for at times being too serious and taking things a bit too seriously. Uh, what did you make of his performance as John Connor? I mean, he has to be the savior of humanity. He has to be the second coming. And what I really like about the choices that they made in this movie is we all expect to come into the future to see John Connor being the leader of the resistance. And they didn't. They still had him proving himself, having superiors, you know, being the popular figure, you know, he's kind of like the Bernie Sanders of his time where everyone loves him, but he never gets to charge from the front and lead. He never gets elected. <laughs> yeah. What I wrote to me was that he was the Alex Jones of that timeline because, you know, he gets on his microphone and he's like, he starts spouting all these apocalyptic warnings in his case they're warranted he knows he really knows what's up but i think that to anybody that hasn't watched the terminator movies he comes across as a bit deranged but i like the bernie sanders comparison a lot better because i guess he's supposed to be a symbol of hope not a symbol of of just apocalyptic despair but i mean this movie again the balls on it following on from rise of the machines they finally said hey guys how about we stop setting this in modern day and sending robots back and how about we flip it we have a guy from modern day who's woken up and found himself in the future and we're finally getting that war dystopian war movie that not even james cameron with a hundred million dollars could provide us with. Yeah, this really is a movie that we should have gotten after the first Terminator. Yeah. You didn't really need all the other time tra travelers to come back. You told the story in the 80s, and from then on, what we really wanted was to see the future. So this was, to me, the, the, the next chapter in, in John Connor's life, as in, you know, Judgment Day happened, and now I need to rise to become this post-apocalyptic messiah. That's mm -hmm. really what I wanted to see, and, and it's what I got in this movie. Uh, I think that... Uh, Bale's performance, it's, it's like Chaz said. I mean, he's he carries that weight, that responsibility, and that's turned him into somebody that we saw. I mean, the thing with Edward Furlong is we can't... We're You know, George Lucas doesn't charge a franchise, so he can't be digitally replaced. So, for better or for worse, Ed, Edward Furlong's performance is canon. Yeah. And so, the best way to play with it is to use it to contrast how far he's come, right? So, he went from Edward Furlong to Nick Stoll to Christian fucking Bale. It's like, <laughs> that is amazing. And that's that's really cool. And now that he's Christian Bale, what is he facing against, right? And so he's facing against all those things that we saw in like tiny little flashbacks in the previous movies. Now we have full set pieces with the, with the Transformers there. <laughs> and and then he's... And Helena Bonham Carter mm, for some mm, reason. Helena Bonham Carter uh, providing uh, a face to all the machines. And then... You know, Sam Worthington. Genuine question, though. Is is Bryce Dallas Howard playing Kate Brewster? Is her character called Kate Brewster? I think so, yeah. Really? Yeah. If that's the case, I did not pick up on that at all. Well, you didn't know that that was her? No. I was too enamored by the charismatic enigma Sam Worthington. They kissed. Well, I know that they were together, but I didn't yeah, realize. Yeah, that's Kate Brewster. <laughs> okay, so even more ballsy. <laughs> I just realized that... Do you have a very different reading of Terminator Salvation if you didn't know that that was Kate, you know, because to you was just, oh, well, John Connor hooked up with somebody else? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's his side piece in the, in the <laughs> di dystopian future that somehow manages to have perfect makeup and hair. <laughs> I mean, it even makes sense because they said that she was his second in command in Rise of the Machines. And here she's very clearly the woman behind the man. Yeah. Well, good for her. 
didn't you read like how uh, Bryce Dallas Howard studied Claire Danes' performance to make sure she got the mannerisms down? <laughs> Speaking of uh, homages to previous films, we have Anton Yelkin playing the role of Kyle Reese. Um, so we get like the awesome face-off between father and son at one point, but the father's younger than the son. Yet another thing that you've been waiting for, right? Watching Salvation, you were waiting for John Connor to to meet Kyle Reese, and you're waiting for the Arnold Schwarzenegger cameo that you know has to happen at some point. And those two things take place. After that, it was like, what else can you do? Uh, you know, I'm happy. Oh, and then, and throwback lines. So you get, come with me if you want to live, <laughs> and you get, I'll be back. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, the the feature attraction of this, the, the meat and potatoes, Sam Worthington. Uh, Chaz, did this make Sam Worthington a, a, a national icon back home? <laughs> oh, absolutely. This way more than Avatar, you know. Uh, in Australia, we love our Australians in Hollywood so much that we like to claim non-Australians as our own. While Tom Cruise was married to Nicole Kidman, everyone would talk about him as if he was our Tom. Uh, <laughs> Russell Crowe is a, originally a New Zealander, and we've stolen him as well. We, we like our angry men as role models. <laughs> this definitely, uh, his role in this was one of the more complex uh, and brave attempts they made in the whole franchise of the Skynet essentially takes his body and turns him into one of their own, but allows him to keep his brain and his human will. Because it's a lot more fun if he doesn't know. <laughs> you know, you need that that awesome scene halfway through the movie where he realizes, he learns that he's a machine. He, he has to be tied up in almost a crucifix position and they say look down and he sees his open stomach and it's a machine and he has to go no well you know that was george lucas uh coming back to the to this franchise to you know re-record over yeah he just gave him the sound clip uh i think that the the big the big moment for sam warden he has plenty but to me contrarius corner real talk is just it's always going to be the same, which is when uh, the female officer that he's befriended, the one that brings him to, to John Connor's camp, she she still believes in him. And, uh, you know, they had some sort of connection. Yeah. But then, you know, he's hanging. He's exposed as a robot. He's been trapped. She tricks Common, who's the guy guarding him, uh, into going away. And uh, the way she does this is, like, she points her, his, her gun at Sam Worthington and shoots him. And Sam Worthington's reaction is just this really sad look. Like, he's given up and he's heartbroken that the girl he likes is shooting at him. And to me, that was just, that's really, that's why you cast him. I mean, he's he's attractive. He can do the stunts. But really, what you want is the really, really quiet, soulful moments. Like, that. it's not even the anger at realizing that you're your body has betrayed you, but it's just the, the heartbreak and knowing that now you don't have a shot with this hot girl that you were, uh, you were flirting with yeah. earlier. I mean, he is a true anti-hero. Like he wasn't, he wasn't like a, yeah. a paramilitary soldier or anything like that. He was on death row. He was an asshole who got murdered for being an asshole and then brought back as a Terminator asshole who didn't care about any of the, his fellow humans <laughs> and continued to be an asshole until realizing that he was a machine, how much he loved his own humanity. Like, it's they cast him perfectly, and the storytelling is pitch perfect as well. And look, they, they actually uh, take a real leap with John Connor's 
character as well. Like, he is forced at the end of this movie to choose between rescuing the man he knows is going to be his father or what is good for humanity. And he chooses his own father. He's forced to choose, am I more important to the resistance than the people <laughs> here and now? He, you know, it's almost metatextual because I reckon it's the screenwriters writing out how uh, Christian Bale was fucking with the script. They're just going, well, this guy thinks he's a god. Let's make him make the decision where his godliness is more important than the people he is the god of. Yeah. I don't know if any of your listeners are aware, but one of the biggest early YouTube viral sensations was uh, Christian Bale on the set of this movie screaming at some poor intern for crossing his eye line while he's acting. Oh, no, yeah, that was definitely something that made its way. I think even people that... Uh that haven't watched the movie are aware of it. <laughs> that was, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Oh, good for you. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I I am on, on Bale's side. I mean, I don't excuse what he's done um, on set, but I understand it because you can't deliver a performance that's as powerful as what he gives us in Terminator Salvation without really immersing yourself in the character and really putting yourself out there. And so... If you're in character, if you're really living uh, as John Connor and you're feeling his pain and his frustration, his anxiety, then yeah, the last thing you want to do is like see the, the DP walking in the background, completely ignoring the fact that you're in a post-apocalyptic thriller action blockbuster. So I, I, I understand. And and he had the thing that this movie does is it gives both of them an arc, John Connor and Sam Worthington. Uh, because like you said, Sam Worthington kind of learns to not just reappreciate his humanity, but also learn the actual value of sacrifice. You know, uh, when he gives up his life, sort of, he signs up his rights at the beginning of the movie so he can be part of this experiment that ends up turning him into a Terminator. At the beginning, he just, he doesn't really care. It's it's kind of, a, eh, well, you know, what else am I going to do? I'm on death row anyway. But at the very end of the movie, when he decides to sacrifice himself again so that John Connor will live, that's, he's making that decision with his eyes wide open. You know, he could... Easily, nobody was looking at him even <laughs> as a potential solution to the problem. They, he could have just let John Connor die and then just, you know, hook up with that girl, just live happily ever after. The movie is basically the the redemption of Sam Worthington, right? But but it, it's also kind of John Connor learning, to, like softening up a little because he has to learn to trust Sam Worthington, a machine. Yeah, a machine. You know, and this guy that's been put through hell because of the machines suddenly has to put aside those biases. And there's, I mean, the final shots are, it's not just this machine giving its heart to a, a man at that time, but also, you know, you have a, is it the little girl? I don't know if it's the little girl or Kyle Reese that holds uh, Sam Worthington's hand and you see the close-up of the it's robotic a girl. hand. Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, it's a message of just, you know, coexistence is possible. <laughs> not all machines are irredeemable. We can move forward from here, guys. We don't have to go back and change the past. Yeah, this film really does challenge a lot of the preconceived notions of the franchise and leans into them really powerfully. Like, when John Connor finally is confronted with Marcus, with Sam Worthington's character, he's like, I didn't know you guys could exist. Because he's been moving through this ward knowing he is preordained to be hot shit <laughs> and that he is going to win this war. He can kind of sit back and, and skate his way through if he wants. But suddenly... His father is potentially going to be killed and he's seen something that he never knew was possible even though he had been told his future and suddenly he's going, oh fuck, 
what if I don't do everything? What if I actually have to get off my ass and make some decisions here to win this war? And it's really fucking challenging for John Connor as a character. So uh, you had mentioned that the picture of Sarah Connor was explained in Genesis. Yeah. Whereas I thought you were going to say it's explained here because Christian Bale has the picture of her. And the types. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I mean, I know how the picture makes it to John Connor because, you know, the picture gets taken at the end of the of the first movie. But yeah, I, but I thought... No, no I, my big question is how does it end up with Kyle Reese? Oh, okay, okay. Kyle Reese has no business having that picture. Because <laughs> right, this is before it's become the porn hub of that time. You know, no one's pinched that picture and started yeah, handing it around. Exactly. It's not it's not already crinkled and kind of, you know, Stained. damaged goods at this point. But before we get to the handoff, we do have to acknowledge what Chaz pointed out a bit earlier. We do have a fully nude CGI'd Arnold at one point. Um, we do not get the swing and D, nor do we get the, the silhouette of the nuts between the legs, as this was the first PG-13 uh, Terminator. Was it really? You could have fooled me, though, because the level of yeah, violence... man, I did not know that. Yeah, the level of violence is pretty high. I guess you could just say, oh, it's just machines, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but there's still some pretty brutal kills. Like, I mean, that old lady gets, like, my, snatched up. Yeah, that's my whole thing with the Avenger, the Marvel universe. It's all so fucking violent, because there's no blood, it's not really that bad. It's also because they're superheroes, Alex. These, oh. <laughs> these guys in the Terminator franchise, they're so just the, humans. The MPAA thing is there has to be fantastical violence or historical violence. Exactly. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> Anything other than that, R rating. So we go from our first PG-13 rated movie, our first uh, Terminator in the, uh, I guess, the future, to a few years down the line when just everything's going to get fucked up. <laughs> Everything, every timeline. Uh, we return back to 4th of July weekend as on July 1st of 2015, Terminator Genesis was released. John, you can do this. You just go and you don't look back. life I prepared my son to lead humanity in the fight against the machines. On this night, we take back our world! But there was one thing I could never prepare him for. The machines tried to rig the game, sent a Terminator back to the time before the war to kill my mother. I'll go back. Let me save her. We've been prepping for you to arrive for over a decade. We? The Terminator. It is nice to meet you. I've been trying to teach him to blend in. I know it needs work. John. Hi, Mom. How can you be here? What are you doing? John! What have they done to my son? Survival is what you taught me. Not machine, not man. I'm more. I can't leave him. Whatever they did to John, we need a reversal. 
Everything's changed. We are humanity's last hope. Load up. I've been waiting for you. You gotta get him off me! I'll be back. What? A budget a little under what McGee was given uh, at uh, $155 million and a worldwide box office return of $440 million, which, interestingly enough, is the second highest return they've had. But kind of breaking it down, the lion's share of that was international. It didn't even do $100 million domestically. Yeah, I and having I, an Australian on our podcast, I feel I should specify <laughs> domestically for us is uh, <laughs> North America. It's not true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, I, we I think we it, in Australia measure domestic box office in the U.S. as well. <laughs> We've only got twenty five million people. We don't have a box office. God, God bless. You're just as xenophobic as we are against yourselves. <laughs> um, I think it's a shame uh, because. You know, we were talking about uh, The Force Awakens, and then, you know, that was followed up by The Last Jedi, which could be seen as an answer to uh, Force Awakens, and then Rise of Skywalker could be seen as an answer to Last Jedi. And I think, in a way, Salvation, uh, uh, Genesis, and then Dark Fate are sort of a similar thing, where it's just really good movies that seem to be at war with each other. So... (laughs) Genesis kind of tries to, I think, appease all the people that were mad at Salvation for not having time travel, mm. for being too serious, uh, you know. And so Genesis gives you a lot of time travel, a lot of uh, uh, convolution. Yeah, but they're like, you know, hey, that's my my Terminator franchise. It's about time travel, about like breaking the rules, and and I want to see hot young people, and, you know. So there's like yet another round of recasting. It's basically trying to filter in. Old fans and new fans alike, right? And yeah, like you're saying, appease them and give them everything they want, right? So, so and we they get... certainly do. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. I mean, we get we get beefcake John Connor. I think Jay Corney, the most attractive of all the John Connors. No, no, no. Uh, Jason Clark is John Connor. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we've got both still beefcake, works. beefcake John Connor, John Connor <laughs> and beefcake Carl Reese. Yeah, like in then, in this future, uh, in this timeline, there's a lot of fucking protein post the apocalypse. <laughs> They're all eating each yes. other. It's the humanity has become cannibals. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, they work out a lot, and uh, and I guess the, the only big thing was um, I can totally see that uh, the backlash from the hardcore fans that were like, "Where's Where's Sarah Connor? We don't care about this Catherine chick. We want Sarah Connor back." So, so Kate absent from Genesis, but she is. Uh, but instead, we get Sarah Connor back. Yeah, we get a younger, more popular Sarah Connor, uh, with echoes of the Edward Furlong, Furlong character in the sense that now she's kind of like young and quippy and and just like a little too. Uh, she speaks like she's a movie character. Amelia Clark. Yes, Daenerys from Game of Thrones. Uh, but the difference is that Amelia Clark is a much better uh, performer than Edward Furlong, so she can pull it off. Uh, yeah. So, so it's this is kind of like the YA version of a Terminator movie. You know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of romance going on, a lot of uh, one-liners. Uh, there's a, a a very strong parental figure. Pops. So, 
it pops. You know, so it's it's kind of it goes away from salvation, but it's also a good movie. You know, it's it's only flaw, I guess. It's just, it's made as a response to a movie that that the fans were not interested in. And Chaz, you know, we talked about going through this franchise about the interspersed comedy and you know where it succeeds, where it fails, things of that nature. W- what we hadn't had up until this point is a fully flushed uh, and dedicated comedic character. You know, we've had all these one-liners and throwaways. But with this, we were gifted J.K. Simmons as O'Brien, who was just yeah. uh, a, you know, you want to talk about a breath of fresh air in this franchise, especially like we talked about having marathon these throughout the week. What was your reaction to the J.K. Simmons role in this? Because me and Julio were just, you know, on cloud nine watching everything he did. Well, this was my first rewatch since the theater, and I had completely forgotten that he was in the movie. You know, he is so overshadowed by everything else that's all the spectacle of this film and how they're cramming in every single part of every previous element of the franchise. So for me, it was such a welcome surprise to be reminded, oh my God, one of my favorite character actors who has perfect comedic timing is the one thing that this franchise was missing. We needed Juno's dad. Absolutely. We needed As always. Uh, the the crazy teacher from Whiplash. <laughs> funny you say that the first thing i said when he hit the screen was not my fucking tempo (laughs) Uh, Um, so so i would say this movie was probably pitched as what if we actually got to see kyle reese and sarah connor fall in love you know the first terminator they fall in love in two hours (laughs) they just basically they have sex and then uh they're soulmates for the rest of the night this movie actually develops a relationship yeah and you get the uh, it's not just the chemistry, but you get the classic will they, one day, even though you know that the future requires that they will, but they they don't really like each other. <laughs> and, and they, and like I said, they have their pops, they have Arnold kind of acting his age now, being protective of this, of Sarah Connor, uh, or yeah, of Sarah Connor as if she was his uh, adoptive daughter. And something that, the franchise had not broached up until this point was the idea that the it is living tissue and those guys get old and yeah. like they start breaking down just like real humans do. The most poignant moments of this movie are seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger and the T-800 grow old and have to deal with the fact that they've grown old, mm-hmm. popping their knees back, shaking their arthritis. I mean, that stuff that the, the line between Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Terminator has blurred so much that... You don't know if you're getting teared up because of the character or because of the actor. Uh, you know, it's just pulling at your heartstrings. So it's I loved it. That's I don't think that there's anything anywhere near as emotional as seeing Arnold grow old in this movie in the rest of the franchise. Absolutely. One thing I, I did have a, a grievance with though is uh, the fact that we could get CGI Arnold, but we couldn't get CGI Bill Paxton to recreate that opening scene of uh, the first Terminator. But that would have been a case of. Uh, how, how do you tease me with Bill Paxton? Mm. <laughs> but can I just say, like, I want to hark back to Julio, what you just said before, how this is the YA entry into the Terminator franchise. And I hadn't thought about it before, but it so is. Instead of Sarah Connor being a damsel in distress, she's been raised by a Terminator, like John Connor was, to be the leader of the resistance. And she's finally catching up to her future that she knows what it she's been told what it's going to be and imagine meeting this war-torn uh aggro guy 
who is a bit of a psycho. (laughs) And because, you know, instead of being a waitress who's ready to fall in love with that kind of guy, because that's what James Cameron believes women should do, you're actually (laughs) this full-on empowered badass. And because you're a full-on empowered badass, you're not attracted to him in the slightest, right? And then suddenly, she's not fighting to give birth to John Connor, she's fighting to keep Kyle Reese out of her vagina. You know, if we can stop Judgment Day, I do not have to fuck you. (laughs) It's like Romeo and Juliet, but as if someone had told Juliet, oh, by the way, you're going to meet Romeo and you're going to fall in love with him. And because you're going to fall in love with him, you're going to kill yourself. And then her having, feeling the pressure to go through with that. And it is a perfect YA romantic setup which is super powerful it's really it's really the freshest thing in this movie uh, the romance angle i mean it's not i wouldn't call it a rom-com but there's a lot of calm and a lot of rom mm. in addition to all the action that's happening um I, I mean going back to to arnold's character i mean he is part of that sort of love triangle of mm. uh, uh, that, that we have here because he is on one hand he is the the disapproving father figure he doesn't think that that Jai Corney really is good enough for for his baby, but at the same time he is one of the he's the one constant reminder to Sarah that she needs to hook up with this guy. Yeah. They need to mate, in his words. Yeah. So he's playing this dual contradictory role of protecting uh, his little girl from this guy that's not worthy, but at the same time he knows that his little girl has to hook up with this guy <laughs> in order to save the planet in the future. Um, and to me, just from from a Terminator franchise perspective, the the coolest aspect of it is you get like the generations of Terminators because you get like the T one hundred, the T one thousand, and then you know the most recent incarnation of it. Um, it's just kind of like watching. It, you could just watch this and don't need to watch the rest of them. In a way, yeah. I mean, it's it's. But I think that you would miss the the joy of revisiting those time uh, time periods, right? This is this is like the end game, uh, also of the of the franchise. It, hel- it goes back, so it helps to see the others. But if you're gonna watch one Terminator, this should be it, right? If you only have time for one movie on your schedule, watch Genesis. It sums up everything. Despite its 27 percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes, this should be the one you go after. I, I don't know. Not the 100 percent. So so I think that. The only explanation is that people just don't know what they want, which you know makes perfect sense. Uh, unless you want something as bland as what James Cameron gave us at the very beginning. I mean, that's people. <laughs> that's a evergreen statement. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, because I'm sure that the complaint was that uh, you know this wasn't uh, dark enough. That what happened to Christian Bale? What happened in the future? Uh, why are we going back to retreading all these all these things that we've seen before? And uh, and, but I don't blame the producers because they would say, well, you know, last time we did these things, you really liked them. <laughs> we made a lot of money. Yeah. It was when we tried new stuff that you guys went away. But what this film also does is it rectifies the misstep in salvation. This franchise has been slowly growing towards feminism. You've got like the anti-feminist original. You've got the second film where Linda Hamilton remains the only woman. Uh, she's a badass, a psycho, but still the only woman and a terrible mother. But then, you know, Kate Brewster in the third film and um, Christiana Loken, like the, the, they really knew how to make some feminist films by the third one. And then the fourth one, for some reason, McGee, of all directors who'd made a Charlie's Angels <laughs> film, who should know how to direct women, for some reason forgets that women even exist and puts the Kate Brewster character 
to be a surprised beautiful hair model in the background finally with this film they're coming back to where this franchise should have been going all along which is this is this franchise is about sarah connor it's always been about sarah connor and it's time that john connor and carl reese realize the whiny bitches that they've always been and should just <laughs> shut up and listen to her that is that is true and just as a brief defense of mcgee in salvation I mean, Salvation, much like uh, Genesis, was planned as as just part one of either a trilogy or a or a, a two parter, and so I think that Mike G was just slowly building up to to just having a stronger female roles. Because you have a, I don't remember the name of the actress, but the the actress that plays, I guess she's a lieutenant. Moonblood, good. Yes, well, she gets introduced. She's basically. She has a bigger role than Common, even. You know, mm-hmm. she she was she's given sort of a, a a subplot of her own with her relationship with with Sam Worthington, and by the end of the movie, you know, she survives. So I think that whenever we, if we were ever to go back to that part of the story, you would see her again and probably in a bigger role, just the way that uh, Kate would also have a bigger role. I, I would imagine that the next McGee movie, if it ever had happened, would have started with John Connor kind of in a wheelchair because he's still recovering from surgery and uh, <laughs> Worthington is gone. So it'd be just basically Kyle Reese and and then these two strong female characters moving forward. Mm. Um, yeah. But that was not to happen. And and instead, I mean, yeah, I, I, I really like what they did with Genesis too, where they just... They didn't just make Sarah Connor the center again, but they went ahead and they just turned John Connor into the enemy. Yeah, it's a perfect like amalgamation of everything that had happened up until this point in the franchise. Yeah. I mean, I guess one of the underlying messages that comes to the forefront in Genesis is that the real enemy uh, is technology. So your Xbox One, your Siri, that's really where the, the threat is going to come from. And it just becomes realized here it's no longer about a defense system for the government it's just about the latest uh online video game sensation yeah they, they wanted to make kids afraid of their phones which is a good public service <laughs> message right they wanted to bring the franchise to kids and tell them that technology is their enemy and that by just staring at their phones non-stop and not talking to each other around the family dinner table as they should they are going to lead to the destruction and downfall of society Genesis should be mandatory viewing at at high school, <laughs> primary school even, because it's PG. Yeah, I was about to say, with how young kids are getting phones now, this should be like the first thing they have to watch. And then just like a Fight Club, where it's just that blip, just intersperse that shot of those kids burning alive in T2, just to be like, this is where you're heading. Uh, how did you feel about, uh, so this is PG-13 again, right? Yep. But they managed to, I wouldn't say it's nudity, but they have tasteful implied nudity. There's a lot of time traveling here. And as we all know from the very beginning of the franchise, time travel happens in the nude. So we get uh, Jai Corney stripping down at least twice. Sarah Connor, I think once. And you see the silhouette. Yeah. That's part of their connection. Yeah. Uh, I think that falls in line with the YA thing where, you know, you do not ignore the sexuality of your characters, but it doesn't become the focus of it. There's nothing uh, exploitative about the fact that they have to travel in the nude. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, I would say Salvation, when you see naked Arnold, even though it's not real Arnold, it did feel a little bit gratuitous. Yeah. Here, it's just humans traveling in the nude. I think they return, they reclaim the beauty of uh, naked time travel. And imagine, like, the, as the YA novel, 
like or the YA entry into this franchise. Could you imagine how awkward it is? You know, you're two people you've only just met. You know, you're going to have to mate, and then suddenly you're having to nakedly hug each other. This is exactly every teenager's both wet dream and worst nightmare happening at once, which is exactly what you want in a film for 12-year-olds. <laughs> it is a visual uh, moment of genius, too, because that time travel where they're naked and they intertwine with each other, uh, you know, it's almost like they already had sex by the time that they do the time travel. And then that same visual is repeated at the end when uh, Arnold is fighting uh, the new evil John Connor and they both get trapped into uh, this sort of field of magnetism or whatever that ends up killing John Connor, but they also become intertwined uh, as this machine is spinning them around. It's it's just basically this motif of uh, intertwined bodies that can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. I want a, uh, a snow globe of that closing <laughs> sequence of just like the pieces of Arnold and Jason Clark just floating aimlessly. I want two snow globes. One that's that one and another one it's uh, Kyle Reese and... Uh, and Sarah Connor, when they're traveling back in time. You're, oh, you're the thing they, they use in the future to masturbate, where it's <laughs> naked, uh, what's her name? Emilia Clark. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Linda Hamilton's photo has been all worn out. <laughs> Poor Linda Hamilton. Just generations of men just cranking rod to that one picture. We must go back and save her. <laughs> That's why at the beginning of Genesis, everybody's volunteering to go back and save uh, Sarah Connor. <laughs> The, yeah, it's yeah, like a, they all um, they all like implanting. They, they, <laughs> oh my god, I hadn't realized that that's why every single person in the future like she's the only woman that they've ever seen and they're like, "Oh, me, me, me. I want to be your father, John. I'll do it. I'll do it." <laughs> yeah. So so I so, must fulfill this destiny. <laughs> so this this movie finally answers. It closes that loop. We finally find out how Kyle Reese got the photo. And the answer is because John Connor gave it to him. What do you think happened? <laughs> and again, never underestimate the power of MS Paint as this franchise is not. The picture is just kind of a more degraded uh, Photoshop version with Amelia Clark in it. Yeah, it's uh, but it's cool. I mean, it just it shows you that I mean, at the beginning, right? It's 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 basically either showing you things that you hadn't seen before, but you knew about things that you had heard about mm-hmm. or it's showing you things that you've seen before. Yeah. And the, I'd say the first 15 minutes of this movie kind of lulls you into a false sense of security where you're thinking, okay, they're just going to play the greatest hits. Uh, it, that's going to be it. But then the two things that happen is one, John Connor gets assaulted as, uh, as Kyle Reese is going back in time. And two, we get Arnold versus Arnold, which hasn't, you know, that's not what's supposed to happen in the Terminator timeline. Mm-hmm. So once that happens, you're like, okay, I don't know what's going on. I, I, I mean, well, we talked about this. Jimmy Cameron planted the seeds for this shit to happen in Terminator <laughs> 2. It was just like, all bets are off. Just people can keep getting sent back through time. You know, there's no uh, no sacred cows in this franchise. Yeah, and just when you're, you're th- you think you know what's going to happen, you think you're going to see Robert Patrick as a... T-1000. God. Nope. We would be so fortunate. We get a nation Terminator. Yes, that too. The unsung hero of this movie. Uh, the Asian Terminator. Let's see if I can pull up that gentleman's name. Uh, Byung-Hung Lee, who played the T-1000 in the 1984 uh, story arc. Because, I mean, when we're wanting to do diversity, the one character mm-hmm. you have to cast is the emotionless robot that gets killed in the first 10 minutes of the film. <laughs> Because those China releases, what they really want is Chinese people being objectified and given thankless roles. 
Hashtag this is progress. <laughs> Hashtag Terminator not so white. <laughs> but but no, because really, when it comes down to it, when you're a little kid, nobody wants to be John Connor. Nobody wants to be Kyle Reese. I, I guess little girls want to be Sarah Connor, but little boys, they want to be the Terminator. You want to oh, yeah. be the badass robot. So uh, you can't recast Arnold. So the best thing you can do is just recast the other Terminators as to add some some variety, some diversity. And also, this was, again, part one of a supposed trilogy, so we could have seen that guy again. All right. So, from there, the Terminator franchise lay dormant for only four years. Um, Yeah, it looks like we've had one uh, over the past 11 years, one every four years, so... It's, it's not like that giant 12-year gap we had between 2 and 3. So in November of this past year, 2019, on November 1st, Terminator Dark Fate was released. Two days ago, I had this nice, simple life. And now it's a nightmare. Sarah Connor. Never seen one like you before. Almost human. I am human. Why do you care what happens to her? Because I was her. How do we win? We win. By keeping you alive. I'm going hunting. Um, with a box office of about 180 million for a uh, worldwide box office gross of about 260 million, making it the lowest grossing Terminator film ever. Now, I have not seen this, and based on the uh, climb we made going through all these, I kind of want to now, but I do want to throw it over to uh, my co-host Julio and our guest Chaz uh, to see what they what they made of this 70%er on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, so as usual, Rotten Tomatoes gets it wrong. Um, it's, it's sad that basically after the last... Two movies, which are arguably the best two of the franchise. Uh, we just went back uh, to just stuff that doesn't really work. Uh, I mean, we're not going to spoil anything for you. But I can tell you that James Cameron got involved again. And it shows. Yeah. I mean, they they got they got so afraid of how bold the storytelling was in Rise of the Machines, in Salvation, and in Genesis. That they were like, you know what, let's do what we did in Genesis. Which is cram everything that everyone loves about the Terminator franchise into one movie, but then also 
remake Terminator 2. <laughs> that's that's basically it. But then it feels pandering. Oh, uh, so pandering. In all the worst ways, right? It's trying to be the wokest of the woke. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. We've got nothing this, uh, but women. We, Mexicans are treated terribly by the US economy. And we shouldn't build a wall. Because then yeah, the Terminators it, it, can't get back into the US. And we need our Terminators made here, homegrown in the US. It's the... It's the uh, you didn't see this movie. Uh, Chas probably did uh, Vice from a couple of years ago. The biopic about Cheney. You oh, know, yeah, it, yeah. it was a movie that I agreed with a hundred percent as far as what it was saying. But it was also a movie that just repulsed me because of how just how hard it pandered. Like it was like you know I agree with you, but you're making us all look bad <laughs> because you're uh, you're just trying too hard. And it's kind of the same thing with Dark Fate, where it's just. One thing at a time, guys. Otherwise, it just feels like it's not its not a smooth transition, right? Uh, and then, of course, on top of all that, it, it just kind of smacks of desperation when you phone Linda Hamilton. They're like, can you please come out of your retirement and just come back to the franchise? Because we need something to jumpstart this thing. Uh, so and you, Arnold has a beard. Yeah, well, I mean, Arnold is it's pretty much every movie. But really, the main thing is that you're bringing back all these elements uh, you're putting like a new color, a new paint color on them, but it's still the same movie from from the nineties. Yeah, according <laughs> to this, it's they went back to an R rating though. Yeah, but it's an R rated Terminator these days. There's nothing new about it. This one, uh, uh, oh wow, this this is actually a good reference because Chas was here when we did the episode on a good day to die hard. A good day to die hard was a return to the R rating for the die hard franchise. Mm-hmm. It didn't really matter. It still sucked as a movie. I mean, it, it's. The R rating doesn't automatically make it edgier or or better or more interesting. All it means is that they could just show you a little more blood and be a little more brutal. But in the end, it just feels like, just watch Terminator 2 again. <laughs> yep. Fair enough. Uh, we'll likely be screening this in the next week, so follow up to come. <laughs> it's like, uh, I had no interest in it when it came out, but having like this discussion and watching all these movies over the past week, my interest has peaked. It's like, well, God damn it, now I got to finish this. I, w- I need to see what else they can do. <laughs> I got to see how more convoluted they could possibly make it than Genesis. <laughs> all right, gentlemen, we've tackled the Terminator franchise, giving it the full contrarian's treatment individually, one by one. I say we move this along to Real Talk and give our true and tried thoughts on uh, the Terminator franchise before we wrap this up and send people home. Send people back in time. Hmm? Actually, we're not doing Real Talk just yet. This recording turned out to be so epic, we are breaking it in two. The second part of our Terminator franchise retrospective, All Real Talk, will be out on February 15th, unless Skynet foils our plans. Now, before we go, you know what's coming, our usual plugs. Many thanks to the festive years for providing our intro and outro. From their album Don't Let Me Use You, we have Last Stand and Summer of 99. You can find all their stuff at thefestiveyears.com. As for our logo, it was designed and executed by our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothgieser. Hans has two podcasts, one in Spanish called Nacion Combi, which you can find in any podcatchers, and one in English called Living in Peru, available on iBox. Nacion Combi is about Peruvian current affairs, Living in Peru is about immigrants to Peru. You can contact Hans at Mildemonios at Hotmail.com, that's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S, or on Twitter at Mildemonios, or you can check out his website, Mildemonios.pe, to see all the other stuff he has written. He keeps busy. He even has a new novel called Requiem por Lurin, the third entry in his best-selling zombie series. Anyway, that's it for us, and we'll see you next time for more Terminator discussion. Take you on a date, just for old time's sake, I really don't care.